Well, good afternoon, hey. everyone, and welcome to another edition of Overtime. Uh, we are so glad and excited that you're here. I'm Ben. I'm Christian. Uh, Christian was the one preaching for us this past weekend, yeah. so we're excited we can get to dive in a little bit deeper into the message that he preached. Yep. Um, Josh was on vacation. He'll be back next week, so yep. we're not really worried about that. But <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. As always, what we hope is that this helps challenge and encourage your spiritual growth. Yeah. We always say that this is kind of part two of the message because yeah. we get to go a little bit deeper than what we would on a Sunday morning. It gives us the opportunity to be able to engage with you for be, us to be able to hear any questions, any thoughts that you have, and then hopefully kind of a dialogue in that. So we are going to going to get to kind of a recap and a review. But one of the things that we always try and do before we jump into one of these, um, you know, productions or podcasts or whatever you want to call it. So it sounds official. So official. Productions. And, and we are at a year. So yeah. this is technically this is our first year birthday. 53rd yeah. week. You can so go ahead and comment happy birthday in the comments thank you. if you want. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things that we always want to do is just kind of give you a couple highlights that are things that are happening within the church. Uh, the first thing that I'll mention is that the Big Yellow Mug is now now officially open after about six to seven months we were actually um you know because of covid we were kind of closed we had the door shut didn't really do anything we are now in kind of a two mental two month experimental phase of going hey is the big yellow mug still something that our community could use or need here comes josh he's we fixed it we're good sticking his face this in is the round window. two so, of our podcast actually so we're live. Yeah, now it's, we're live. It's all good. We were recording it. Josh is back from vacation and he's just coming to check, check in. on us. So kind. Make sure we're doing it right. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I was talking about the big yellow mug. So we are now officially open kind of as an experiment to see if the, you know, in the next two months, we're trying to evaluate if this is a need in our community or in our church, something that it's a sustainable model, something that we can continue to do. So we would encourage you to come out. If you're looking for a place to meet with five or less people, um, come on out. You can do that at the Big Yellow Mug. We have an outdoor and an indoor seated area. Um, we are open from 8 a.m. to 12, kind of new business hours. So 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. Um, you'll be wearing a mask as you kind of make your way on in. Once you get your drink, and get, grab a seat. You can then kind of take off your mask and yep. eat your eat your food, drink your drink. Food and, is good too. And yeah, there's some the some new things there. We've got a local like muffin distributor now, like yeah. local. Pretty excited for. So, so there's cool. a lot of things that are happening. And if you are looking for a place to, like I said, meet with some people, or maybe even just a change change of scenery mm -hmm. from your home, you want to work a couple hours here, we would love to have you. Yeah. And it would help us figure out and evaluate whether this is something that we can yeah. continue to do. And the drinks are like stellar. Like uh, I think I had a cookies and cream frap a couple yeah. days ago and it was delicious. We, and then we brought some back some old ones. <clears throat> We've got some new ones. Yeah. So there's kind of a, a good mixture. Y'all want to try them out. You should come. And then yeah. you get to see these wonderful faces too. Yeah. So, Sometimes I work from home as well. Yeah, so yeah. I, I can't promise. But, but you'll see me. I'm here a lot. Yeah, he doesn't like his home. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. That's terrible. I like both. <laughs> you just moved I in. just like a change of scenery. <laughs> Thanks, anyway, ben. so Jeez. we are live. Thanks for joining us. Uh, the other thing that I want to mention is on the 23rd of October, which is this Friday, we are going to be doing another movie night. We're going to be watching the movie Monsters, Inc. Mm. That'll start at 7 o'clock. Um, bring your family, bring your friends. You know, you can bring... Uh, your fire pit if you're interested in doing mm. that like you can kind of sit in your car and stay there or you can bring chairs kind of sit outside of your car um, but we will be having a socially distant movie Monsters Inc. this coming Friday October so 23rd at 7pm so that's I think the only two things oh and I'll just say that we would love to have you here on a Sunday morning we've yeah. got a drive-in service that happens the same time as our in-person service 
Here you do have to RSVP on that for our website, or if you go to our website, you can also watch us online. So those are kind of the three areas that I would say, come on out, be a part of. We'd love to have you here. We'd love to see you socially distant, of course, with face coverings. Over there. We'll, we'll keep everything safe, but we think community is still important. Yeah, so that's kind of all the announcements. Christian was the one sharing with us this past weekend. So do you want to kind of give us a recap of what we yeah. talked about as we were in week three of Jesus for President? Yeah. So week three of Jesus for President. Uh, you guys know that we're in a, the middle uh, of a very, very politically polarized uh, culture right now. Uh, and two weeks from today, is uh, officially election day. And so I'm sure a lot of us uh, maybe already have our decisions made and there's really no wiggle room there. Some of us are trying to figure out, gosh, what does it mean to be a Christian in the 21st century voting in this election? Yeah, right. And so our hope in this series uh, that I've identified is to kind of do two things. One, we want to create a framework and the um, ability to process through uh, theologically what it means to vote in this election. You know, um, you know how, what it is that we as Christians, as practicing Christians, should consider when we vote for a candidate to lead the country for the next four years. Um, and actually, I would extend an invitation for you. Josh was telling us this morning, this weekend for week four of Jesus for President yeah. will probably be the most practical weekend for yeah. answering those questions. If you're still trying to figure out how do I vote? Who would I vote for? Uh, we're not going to tell you exactly exactly do this, but yeah. Josh is going to go over a lot of really, really practical content this weekend at Jesus for President Week 4. So if there's yeah. any week that you don't want to miss, it's probably this one. Yeah. Um, so I encourage you to come on out this weekend and join us for church. Um, but yeah, getting back to week three. So again, that objective to create a space for us to process and think theologically about what it means to be a Christian voting in this election. But then secondly, we want to uh, we want everyone to walk away convinced that they <clears throat> have a responsibility to place a vote in a candidate, but um, they should never place their hope in that candidate. Yeah. Place your vote in the candidate, but place your hope in Jesus. And, um, and there's, a, you know, there's a lot behind why we believe that to be true. Um, but this week in particular, we focused on Jesus being our model candidate. Like there's no candidate like Jesus. There's no leader like Jesus. There's no one worth following like Jesus. And so we actually looked in the story of Luke four of Jesus being tempted, um, which is a very interesting story. Um, we've identified that uh, just through this story alone, we've kind of learned about, hey, hey, this is how Jesus is our model candidate. What does he do? Um, as you know, when he's tempted, uh, the, he combats the temptation with scripture. And so the first thing we identify is Jesus knows the word, right? Um, he knows it thoroughly. He doesn't use that to shape his ideologies, but he uses scripture um, like scriptures used to shape his ideologies, not the other way around. Because we see nowadays people uh, use the scripture to justify their right. ideologies right. and their points. Like, oh, you know, um, like politicians do it, right? Where they use scripture just to kind of support their agenda, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. He knows scripture. Um, he is the word. And so uh, he uses scripture to help him overcome temptation. The second thing is Jesus uh, uh, abides by the word. Like, um, you know, we identified in that story <clears throat> in the temptation, even Satan quoted scripture. He misquoted it, but he quoted it nonetheless. Um, and so what we have here is, oh, you know, even demons and the devil yeah. know right. scripture. And so uh, is there something else, you know, we should consider as Christians, as practicing Christians uh, when it comes to scripture? So maybe it's just more than just knowing it, right? Because you could pass a Bible quiz, but not be a very, um, not be a very morally upstanding person, or you know, a practicing Christian. And so, um, there's something different between just knowing Scripture, and, um, but then living it out. And so, Jesus, when he overcomes temptation, he speaks Scripture aloud, 
uh, and then lives it out in order to overcome the temptation. Uh, and so um, when he when he says some of the phrases from the, 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 the passage where, you know, don't live by bread alone, Jesus then uh, refuses to eat bread in an effort to tether himself to the will of God, the word and the will of God. And so what he does is he says the scripture and then abides by it. And so that sets him apart. He's a, he's a greater candidate because he is doing perfectly what Adam could not do. Uh, and it's interesting. We mentioned this in our first recording of this podcast <laughs> that uh, I messed up. Until um, we realized we didn't hit the right button. Yeah, yeah. We were, we were just talking to a camera. We're so a year no, into it. But now you guys are here. It. I can see we got at least one person watching right now. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Yeah, hey. Um, so what? I don't even know what I was talking about. Uh, before recording temptation, I totally lost. Sorry, I just, I have the ability to do I'm that. professional. So well, I was talking about the story of temptation. What was interesting is what Luke does is we get a parallel between Jesus and Adam, right? Yeah, right. In Luke 3, Jesus is baptized and God says, this is my son with whom I'm, uh, the beloved with whom I'm well pleased. So Jesus is the son of God. And then you get this riveting genealogy after Jesus' baptism where Luke ties Jesus all the way back to Adam, right? Ties Jesus all the way back to Adam. Riveting? And, very riveting. You know, I just wake up and just like, where's my genealogy at? Let me read That's, it. We talked about like last week. That's usually where you're like, uh, so-and-so no. begot, begot, I was, begot. I was definitely being a little sarcastic there. Um, so uh, there's this genealogy that connects Jesus all the way back yeah. to Adam. So yeah. what Luke is trying to do is two things. He's trying to say, hey, pay attention. This is a different candidate. This is a greater candidate. This is the son of God. But also pay attention because he is just like us. Right. He is like us. He is he is human. Uh, he's a greater candidate, son of God, but he is just like us. Uh, and so it's interesting because we have this connection now between Jesus, uh, you know, Jesus and God. He, he is God, but then also Jesus and Adam. So he's, he's human. And so all that to say is this story of the temptation is so profound and so interesting um, because it, it parallels it next to what happened with Adam. And, and so here we have the son of God in the garden, Adam, right, uh, gives into temptation. And that mistake, that sin uh, created space for brokenness and destruction in the world, right? Just sin and brokenness and death and all of its friends, right? And so that decision that Adam made, uh, the son of God made, reached death and destruction. But now Jesus, the son of God, uh, overcomes temptation. But how? With scripture. Uh, and by doing so, he is remaining. Uh, he's following God and the, the, the coming kingdom and the coming mission to redeem and restore all that is broken. So Adam's decision reaps death and destruction. Jesus' decision to overcome temptation um, is in line with the mission to bring about life and restoration and redemption. So just really profound kind of comparison. We should look at Jesus as, hey, there is something different about this candidate. He's greater. Um, He's able to do things that we are not. And so it makes sense. Hey, let's follow this candidate. So it's kind of a uh, an all-around uh, summary of what we covered this weekend. Um, but yeah, this yeah. is just the beginning. So. so one of the things that you've said, and you're probably going to hear this throughout the series, mm -hmm. um, is that what we are constantly, hopefully you are hearing, yeah. encouraging you to do is to place your vote for a candidate, but yeah. don't place your hope in that candidate. Yeah. And the whole reason is that we place our hope in the person and the purposes of Jesus Christ. Like yeah. he is the only one that we can truly count on no matter what. Yeah. And one of the things that you said at the beginning was um, where we, it's very easy to be polarized by the political climate that we're yeah. in. And I think that I, I even oh, saw this yeah. past week, uh, I get like, like most of us, I get a notification. It just happened with my phone and it's a smartphone <laughs> and I'm too dumb to figure out how to turn it off. But a <laughs> notification just popped up saying that 
this week for the presidential debate that's happening on, I believe on Thursday, that they will be muting the microphones. Like they're changing the rules and now they will be muting it so that they will actually follow the the rules that that they have. Yeah. And it's so, so like you just made that comment kind of in the beginning that we can be polarized by the political climate. Yeah. But then also I wrote this down and I think that this was your question initially, so I can't take credit, but what, when you look at the climate that we're in, what do you think God is up to? Like, what do you think he's, in doing like I know that yeah. this is a speculation question so yeah. it's just an interesting place especially when you're <laughs> when you're thinking about it like yeah. if you watch the first debate like I don't even know if you call it a debate it just was like an argument yeah. like just a circus maybe two old know. people just going at it like that's what it looked like <laughs> yeah. like if I was to choose my perfect candidate it would not be either of these two men but yeah. here we are yeah. So what are what do we do with that? Like, what do what do you think God is up to? Like, how do we yeah. how do we navigate this polarizing political climate? Yeah. So I think um, you know it's one thing that people don't do well in political seasons, and it's one thing that you know we did not see done well at the debate. Hence why they have to mute the microphones. But I think the first thing we have to do in order to discern what it is that God is up to mm. is to shut up and listen. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that on a podcast? Well, you just did. I just so. did. There's no taking that back. But we just have to be quiet for a minute uh, and put all of our ideologies aside, like literally put them all aside, no matter what they are, and just listen to God, right? And to try and, um, because it's hard to understand what it is that God's up to when we're not slowing down enough and we're not being quiet so that we can receive from God, right? Uh, And this is why even in this story, we learn the importance of scripture, right? Um, The importance of scripture that it might shape us, that we don't shape it but that it shapes us. And so if we really, uh, really want to discern what God is up to, if we really want to try and figure out um, what he's trying to do in our lives, right? The best thing we could do is just to slow down, to quiet down and to listen and to read scripture. And then I would even add, um, sometimes we have to be comfortable with mystery Um, because Mm -hmm. if, if God gave me every answer that I wanted, then I probably wouldn't follow him because I got everything I need. I got all my answers, but when I am not able to discern something in the way that I want to, um, it forces me to just rest in faith and to say, okay, I don't understand this. I don't get it, God, but I'm going to rely in faith and still create space where I can listen and learn and, and absorb your scriptures, right? And so it's kind of a dance. There's no like one thing that we could do, but I want to be quiet. I want to listen to what God is up to. I want to understand the scripture. And then when I don't, still don't get it, if I don't, you know, feel like I'm hearing from God. I just got to be all right with the mystery and just trust in yeah. him. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, yeah, that's, that's my approach to a lot of things in life. And I don't understand God because I also believe if we could understand God, then that's a really small God. Right. Uh, and I don't know if that's a God worth worshiping. Yeah. Um, and so we have to be comfortable with the mystery of God. Cause if, if we do, do believe that God is infinite uh, and greater than us, then we have to be comfortable with not fully getting everything. Um, so, and then also just knowing that God reveals his will to, um, in different ways, at different times and ways that we don't always expect. And so in order to actually hear that, we got to slow down and listen and figure out what is God asking of me in this season? Yeah. What is God, um, expecting of his church in this season when it comes to navigating politics, when it comes to talking with people that you disagree with, when it yeah. comes to loving right. your enemies, which for those of some of us, uh, it's those on the other side of the aisle than us. Right. Uh, and so what does it mean to love? Um, those that we disagree with. What does yeah. it mean to love um, those that just make us so angry, right? Um, 
And so we, we can't learn that unless we slow down yeah. and actually listen up to what God's doing. Yeah, that's good. Great, great answer, buddy. <laughs> Thanks. Um, Thanks. One, one of the things that, uh, as you were talking, you said, you know, this greater candidate, obviously we're talking about Jesus greater than any candidate that we've yeah. ever seen or ever will see. Um, you gave us a little bit more of the backstory as we go into to Luke, or excuse me, as we look at Luke chapter four, yeah. Luke was kind of giving us a backstory. And you've already kind of said this in your review. Yeah. You're going, hey, Luke is what he's doing is that he's going, Jesus was one of us. He yeah. was human like yeah, us. Yeah. Like what you did was you were talking about how Luke is really tying Jesus to the plight of the Israelites, yeah. like the, yeah. the difficulty, the trials, and then even the temptations. And we see that in this. And yeah. so it's interesting as we look at that, um, uh, like uh, as we go into that, one of the things that I've always thought is interesting, I'm just looking at the scripture here, yeah. is that in chapter four, verse one, the first one, this line has always kind of hit me. Like yeah. it's an interesting thought it says Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. So we've already done kind of Luke's done the connecting of going, yeah. he's human, but he's also God. Like it's kind of hard to understand, but he's connected Adam to Jesus, like yeah. Jesus to Adam. Yeah. And he's going, you know, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a very interesting line yeah. that it's, uh, for me, I would just look at that and go, hey, you know what? The whole baptism and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and going, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's awesome. That's oh, fun. Yeah. I live that's good. moments. <laughs> but then the wilderness part is like, yeah. oh, Wow. What, like, I guess my question in that is, what do you think God is up to in that moment? Or, you know, this profound encounter with God, but then driven into the desert. And and I think maybe you could repeat this, but you had talked about the isolation. Yeah, yeah. Like, maybe start with that question. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's a lot going on here because I think a lot of times we associate the spirit with like good feelings and like great things and right. stuff. But here it's talking about like God willed yeah. that Jesus go to the wilderness, which yeah. in the Greek it's eremos. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but it's spelled Sounded right eremos. to me. Yeah. Um, if you say, I just learned to say things confidently, <laughs> then you're good. So eremos, uh, which means a place of isolation. Hmm. And so here we have this dichotomy of Jesus is, is in a place of great encounter in the Jordan yeah. when he's being baptized and he has this profound experience. But then immediately after he's driven to a place of, great isolation and i kind of beg the question like what is the objective here like is yeah, it what's just the to starve yeah. or is it to be tempted like that doesn't sound very exciting um but what i kind of concluded and i invite you to read this passage and wrestle alongside us right um what i've kind of concluded is that jesus is this is the last event prior to jesus's ministry yeah this is the last moment before one of the profound uh, most profound campaigns missions yeah. ministries that we will ever see right um because this mission that jesus has come here to do is to bring salvation and for all to bring redemption and restoration for all and so in an effort to prepare for this ministry he goes into the wilderness uh fasts for 40 days um and 40 nights uh to prepare himself for the ministry uh the way i kind of identified it and i always like i've always heard that saying like uh, one shall not live by bread alone but by the word of god i'm like what does that mean do you just like not eat and then just read your bible all day and like is that is that how it's supposed to be but one thing that i kind of identified and i don't know you know this is the conclusion that i've come to um is that one of one a pastor once said um that we aren't 
bodies. We, uh, we don't have souls. We are souls. We have bodies. And so, you know, you, myself, Ben, we are souls, but we have this body. We are kind of in this body. Um, and one thing that I, I maybe uh, understood to be happening here is sometimes we're so preoccupied about feeding our bodies, about, you know, eating, about filling our pantries, filling our bank accounts, finding comfort, peace, uh, safety and security, right? Uh, so much, you know, we focus on that stuff so much so that we fail to feed our very soul, mm. the thing that will actually outlive our bodies, right? Uh, and so what I suspect to be happening here is Jesus is forsaking food in order to feed his body. Mm. Um, he's forsaking food in order to tether himself to yeah. the will of God, the word and the will of God. And so what I suspect, because a lot of times uh, fasting is a spiritual discipline. It still actually happens today where people forsake food in order to fully to rely more on God, to tether themselves to God, right? And so it makes sense that before one of the greatest ministries the world will ever see, that Jesus does some prep work for it, that he gets ready for it. And so he's fasting in order to make sure that he is ready for this ministry, right? Uh, and it is in this fasting that he's tempted uh, and that he's finding himself really, really hungry. And so... I find that he is in the desert to prepare himself for the ministry. And how does he do that? With fasting, with yeah. continuing to tether himself to the will and the word of God. And so that um, so that when he does go through his ministry, he's prepared for it. So, yeah, I, I've always found that interesting. So really, why did God send him on some level like it? So it was preparation for his ministry. Yeah. And so what I've always found, and this is just kind of a different way of wording exactly what you said, like this was part of a process that God used. And this is what baffles me when yeah. I think about it. This is part of a process that God used to bring maturity. And maybe that's not the right word. Right? Yeah. But like to bring maturity to Jesus. Like, and it's, yeah. that's crazy to think of. Like, I don't understand that. Like, yeah. even as I say it, it's yeah. like, I, I'm not, honestly, as I say that now, I'm going, is maturity the right word? I think I'm it's not, a good word. I'm not sure if it's the right word because... What I feel like I'm saying is that Jesus wasn't mature enough. I'm like, no, I'm not saying that, Lord. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but there's this, there's this again, like it's, we can't separate the human from the divine. Like it's yeah. so hard to see like, yeah. Jesus as human because we think of him as divine, but yeah. also he's laying aside his divinity to be human. Yeah. So I, it, it's a paradox. It yes, really is. Like it really so, is. It's a perfect paradox, but it's true. Um, you know, theologians wrestle have been wrestling with this, like the yeah. question of a Christology, which is the study of Christ being fully man and fully human. Yeah. They've been wrestling with that for centuries and millennia, like thousands of years. Um, and, the, you know, you could be un trying to understand it uh, and be heretical, like because you think yeah. like, oh, you know, he can still rely on his divine powers. But then that doesn't mean he's fully human. And so it's super nuanced, super complicated. And this is where, you know, we have to be comfortable with the mystery, right? We yeah. have to be okay with, I don't fully understand this whole fully human, fully God thing, right? Continue to wrestle with it. I'm not saying, you know, forsake studying it, forsake wrestling with it. Right. But we do have, at one point have to be comfortable with sitting in the mystery of God and yeah. being comfortable with that and trusting anyway that this makes sense somehow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, with his being fully human, he was, uh, you know, he was vulnerable to the same things that we are vulnerable to, yeah. which is temptation and trial. And so, um, and, but he goes about it in a way, not using his, um, 
his divine powers, right, yeah. to turn stones to bread. He's not using his divine powers in order to help him through it. But he is, again, forsaking even that right. to rely on the uh, to rely on the will of the Father, to rely right. on God. So right. very interesting, very complicated. Yeah, and I feel like my follow-up question to that is to, go, is to say, okay, so as we're talking about, you know, this really amazing encounter with God, profound yeah. encounter, and then deep isolation, what would you say to somebody that feels like they're maybe in the middle of that isolation where yeah. they feel like, God is, uh, maybe they feel like God has abandoned them. Maybe they feel like he's just distant. Maybe yeah. they just don't feel or hear him the way that they did. Like, yeah. what would you say to somebody in those moments? Because we all understand that we go through seasons, right? Yeah. Yeah. What would you say to somebody in that? Like, is that something, man, this is a time where God is preparing you for ministry? Is yeah. this <laughs> like just a difficult place that yeah. you're in? Like, what would you say to that person? I would say like, and it sounds so cliche to say this, but like you aren't alone, right? Because yeah. in the desert, or in the wilderness, Jesus still, if the spirit, the spirit led him there. So yeah. he, the spirit was with him, right? Uh, and of course, temptations were present too. You know, the devil was there. And so, um, but, uh, you know, we're fortunate enough that in today's world, we have access to community. And so mm. in those moments where you feel like you're in a wilderness, when you feel like you're in a great place of isolation, first off, we trust and believe that God is at all places at all times. And yeah. even though he's not speaking to me in the way that I want him to, even though he's not speaking and communicating to me and giving me kind of the, um, the feeling of his presence. Like we still trust that God is at all places at all times and God is still good and God loves us. And so hmm. even in the middle of those seasons, cause I've had those seasons, right. Um, especially lately, 2020 has been a really rough year for me, my family and stuff. Um, just with, uh, for the, I'll just kind of share My dad passed away about a month and a half ago. Uh, and that's been really difficult, right? And so it forces them. Um, there's definitely moments where I feel like I'm in a wilderness, like I'm alone. Where are you, God? Like, come on, this stinks, right? Um, but we uh, we have to do what Christ and return to Scripture too. It says like, God's good, and yeah. God loves us, and um, and rely on these these truths when I don't feel it. I think C.S. Lewis said, um, "Faith is doing like I'm going to butcher it, but it was like faith is, you know." doing what you know to be true, even though you don't feel it to be true at all, right? Even when the feelings fade, when the excitement's gone, because, you know, it'll happen occasionally, especially when life gets hard. Um, faith is pressing on anyway, saying, I believe this to be true. And because I believe this to be true, I'm going to do A, B, and C, um, even though I don't feel like doing A, B, and C, right? And so that's what Christ does. He probably felt like eating that yeah. bread, but he didn't do it because he knew to be true that he needed to not live by bread alone. Bread's important, but not live by bread alone. I need to also live by the word of God. And that's exactly what he did in that moment. And so if you do feel like you're in a wilderness, um, again, you're not alone. And then secondly, I would always invite, like, this is why the church is so important. When you are feeling so isolated, broken, like, please just talk, talk with someone, reach yeah. out to someone. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be Ben or I, like find people in the church that you trust that you care about that you, you know, want to journey with, um, and at least share it with them. That's what I try and do whenever I'm dealing with something in life, I at least try and share it with one person that I really love and trust greatly. Most of the time, you know, all the time it's my wife, but then having a friend that I can confide in and say, Hey, this is everything I'm dealing with. I feel like I'm in a wilderness. Um, and a lot of times I think God puts people in our life or uses people around us to um, remind us of his presence. I mean, you can experience the presence of God through people. So yeah. um, make sure you kind of stay tethered to people in that way. But uh, in that way, I think we're even tethering ourselves to God. So yeah. um, there's a long winded answer. For yeah, you. no, dude, I appreciate the, <laughs> the, the, the sharing in that. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Like, so I appreciate that, man. 
Um, so as we continue in this, it's uh, verse two, it says, so he's led by the, the spirit into the wilderness. Verse two says, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them was hungry. And so I bring that up because one of our, our listeners sent in this question. It feels like this is a good segue yeah. into that. Um, and he's, and one of the things that you did kind of is that you talked about like the significance of food, like, and how the body can go without, like talked a little bit about fasting, like yeah. as well. So again, we always encourage you to listen to the message first. This is always kind of like part two. So I'd encourage you if you haven't heard that yeah. to do that, but jumping into the question, uh, the question says humans can go without food 40 days, but not without water. Isn't the fact that Jesus did that further proof that he is the son, uh, that, that is the son, I think you mean God, son yeah. of God. It's just a little typo there, but the son of God. Yeah, so um, that's an interesting question. And so there's a couple things that I kind of was thinking of. Um, it's interesting because, and we have to be very careful that we don't do this. This is why, you know, um, this is why we wrestle with the scriptures. And this is why, you know, I, I, I did this a lot where I was in college and we'd be reading scripture. And I'd be like, oh yeah, that means A, B, and C. And then the professor would be like, does it? Like, do you see any of that in there, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. Like I've been kind of uh, putting some ideas in the paper and I don't mean to uh, claim that that is what's happening here, but I did want to identify like, actually, if you read um, both Luke's account and Matthew's account, it actually doesn't say that Jesus went without water. Yeah, right. right. Um, right. There's probably a good chance, you know, if he is human and doesn't go like, if he had gone much further without food, there's a good chance he would have died. Right. Right. Because right. he's still fully human. He's still right. vulnerable to the very things that we're vulnerable to. And so, and that's just, you know, I'm just kind of speculating here. If Jesus had gone without food, he was famished, right? So his body was in pain. He was in agony, not eating food. If he had not eaten food much longer, there's a good chance he probably would have suffered some very physical consequences of not right. having food. And that could include death, right? Um, but the passage, actually, I was looking over it after the, I got the question because like, wait, let me check this out. And I, I didn't realize that. But it actually does not say anything about water, which right, is interesting. Right. And so uh, my professor would say a lot of times um, there are things that are written and things that are omitted. And so um, they didn't talk about water. You know, don't know why. Uh, maybe it's because, uh, you know, it could be the case that Jesus actually was drinking water because we all know you can only go a few days, a yeah, couple days true. even, without water and so there's a good chance if i had to guess again this is a detail that's not included in the text but if i had to guess with jesus being fully human fully vulnerable to the same things that we we're vulnerable to i would guess that he probably did have water um of course he's god and so he can make a way um but again he refused to do that in order to identify with our plight and identify with our experiences and to do it um do perfectly what we cannot do right yeah. and so i would say i think i would guess he did have water um, but it's just not a detail given in the scripture, but we always got to, you know, identify what do I bring to the text and yeah. is it, is it there or is it not? You know, so it's, it's just a process. I, I got it wrong a lot growing up and, and I I'm do still think, learning. I think what we see is Luke is very detailed, right? Yeah. So I feel like that, that would have de been a detail that he probably would have included yeah. just because in his investigative journalist like approach, yeah. I think that he would have said that. So I think in this case, the fact that it's not saying anything about water probably gives us a clue that he was drinking. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a rule of three. It's like, you can go three minutes without air, like three days wow. without water. And it's like three weeks is kind of what they say without okay. food. I, um, I think that's what I've heard. If okay. I remember correctly now <laughs> with like first aid and survival and stuff, it seems like things always change as yeah. they get a better, better understanding. So I think that I learned that back <laughs> in the day rule, when though. I was in like boy scouts or 
the Christian equivalent of it, <laughs> which was called which was minutes. called Royal Rangers. Royal anyway, Rangers. Oh that's, my god. <laughs> that's a story for another leave. day. <laughs> but uh but yeah, I think that it's it's probably safe to assume that he was. Yeah. And just as a practical bit of advice, if, for those of you that have um, you know, have experience in the spiritual discipline of fasting. Yeah. Um, you, you would never attempt or you should never attempt. Maybe this is me telling you this. If you don't already know this, you should never attempt to just go 40 days without yeah. anything. Yeah. You need water. You definitely need water. Like just even to go 40 days without water, even that can be very difficult. Like it takes time to build up to that. You need nutrition. You you need kind of like, you know, smoothies and stuff like that. Like your body needs, you know, to be able to to handle that. So I think Jesus was a little bit different. I think that we, what we probably don't see is that there was a preparation. Like he he is being groomed for ministry and for him to escape often in his ministry to get alone with Jesus, I don't think was just something that happened on this one day in the wilderness. That's when he started his prayer and fasting. Like this, I'm assuming is something that he grew into, that it was a discipline that he continued to run. It's like a marathon. Like you don't just run a marathon one day, you know, uh, you'd probably not get through the marathon. But uh, if you train for so long, then you can do the marathon. And and I think there's actually handbooks on fasting nowadays, where if you want to fast for a longer period of time, they actually give you tips on how to train your yeah. body, how to prepare your body. Um, you, you know, you're weaning yourself off of food for a bit in order right. to prepare your body for that long-term uh, season without food. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I would definitely encourage you to read one of those before you ever consider longer fast. Yes, for, yes please do that. Yeah, um, yeah so uh, Jesus faces these three temptations. Um, and uh, it, one of the things that you had said over the weekend was that uh, we read it if you are the Son of God. But that was uh, – or – you. Uh, the the translation yeah. was different. Like I, I can't remember yeah. what. I'm, but it, the question we read is, if you are the Son of God, like the devil says to to Jesus, like if you are the Son of God. But it was actually translated differently. Yeah. So a lot of scholars have said, and sometimes when you translate the Bible from Greek or something into English, you you know not all the words translate perfectly. That's okay. That's still God's word. Um, but uh, some scholars include notes to say, you know, this is what the English version says. It says, if you are the Son of God. Um, but it could be better read as since you are the son of God, right? Um, that's like, you know, you're, you're identifying a fact since you are the son of God, we all know you could turn this rock into bread. Right. Um, and so, um, if sometimes we could read that and even that statement, if you are the son of God can be read both ways. Like, you know, you hear, you see movies like those chick flicks. If you truly love me, you would do this. Right. Um, because they're trying to identify a fact, like, you know, that the, this might be true. Um, but it might just be better for us to read that since you are the son of God, like Satan's identifying, like, yeah, we know you're the son of God. Since it's the case, we all know you could turn this rock to bread. Right. And so just a small little detail. That's just, uh, um, biblical literature for you. Um, some kind of going back to the etymology of some words and the origin, all that stuff. So, um, yeah. yeah, I thought that was interesting too. I, I did I too. Like that. I never heard that before, so I thought yeah. that that was really good insight. Like yeah. it was exciting to hear in that. Um, you did talk a little bit about the stones of Judah. Like maybe it was a, yeah. a particular specific bread. Or like, and if you want to, you can talk more about that. But yeah. I guess the question that you again you talked about on Sunday, what, what was the significance of this moment? Like the bread, and in connection to like yeah. going back to the beginning, like what was the significance of that? maybe temptation or what Jesus did in comparison. 
Yeah, so again, like Luke seems to be setting up two stories side by side, right? Yeah. Uh, and he's d doing this from the beginning of even Luke 3 when he identifies Jesus as the son of God, then he identifies Adam as the son of God, and then he includes a genealogy from Adam all the way to Jesus. And so here in this first temptation, so interesting because they're almost the two same stories playing out, but the person, uh, Adam and Jesus did it differently, right? Uh, Adam screwed things up and Jesus did perfectly what Adam could not do, making Jesus you know, a great candidate, a great individual to follow, a you know, a great um, being do doing all these incredible things, right? And so um, we have this story of, it was interesting, they're called the Stones of Judah, because you see uh, Satan's referencing a specific stone, which I never picked up on that. Uh, and again, the scripture doesn't say it was a stone of Judah. So that's why I want to say, this is what, just what scholars have identified, that in the Judean desert, which w was where Jesus is, they had these things called Stones of Judah. I don't know the, the original uh, language of what they call it, but it was basically um, a stone that resembled a loaf of bread, which is really, really interesting. And so it, we do know that the devil is referencing a specific piece of bread. He uses uh, the word this, which is hautas in Greek, which is a demonstrative pronoun, meaning that uh, the Satan's doing a demonstration. He's saying, turn this item that I'm holding or that I'm referencing, turn this into bread. Scholars suggest or may believe that if they're in the Judean desert with stones of Judah, it could be referencing a piece of bread that, or rock that looks like bread. And so what's happening here is in both stories in Adam, they're tempted by the looks of this fruit, right? Uh, and they make the decision to eat, right? They choose their will over God. Jesus, though, in order to tether himself to the will and the work uh, and the word of God decides, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to abide um, by the mission that, you know, I'm here for. Uh, and so he uses scripture to overcome his temptation. And so, again, Adam's decision brings yeah. death and destruction brokenness right and we are all we are all um impacted by it even today but what jesus does uh is he does not buy he does not eat of he does not turn the bread the rock into bread he does perfectly what adam could not do and because jesus stayed faithful in that moment um he moved forward and ultimately completed his plan and mission to bring uh, redemption and restoration to a world to bring salvation to all people so adam's decision brought death and destruction jesus decision brought life and restoration and, it, and then salvation available to all people and so really profound parallels this is why yeah, this moment's so important in the ministry of jesus right so i just thought that was super yeah interesting i too. thought that it was good too because you can even read paul's writings you know by one man death entered the world and yeah. by one man you know salvation is yeah. entered so it's like so even later on so what you see is luke almost referencing what eventually paul would write yeah or and you know what as i'm saying that maybe paul already had wrote it written it like yeah. by the time luke so think, i'm like yeah, yeah. wait a minute the timeline Which might be written first, yeah. yeah so it's <laughs> But it's just a significant moment of going, okay, here's the compare and contrast. Yeah. Like here's here's Adam by which sin entered the world and here's Jesus by which salvation yeah. now enters the world. It's, yeah. it's just a so beautiful powerful. parallel in that. And so authors are so like smart. They're yeah. very like, yeah. every my professor would always say every word is on the page for a reason. Yeah. Uh, in part because God ordained it to be there, right? Um, right? But also in part, these these authors knew what they were doing. They had a, they had an objective and a purpose. And so, yeah, yeah I just thought it was cool. And so for verse four, we see Jesus says that man shall not live on bread alone. You've already kind of yep. talked to that point of go, uh, of it's better to starve the body 
rather than the soul. Yeah. Like I thought that that was a really good statement that mm. for me was going, mm, man, that's so true. Like I'm so meticulous in the way, maybe meticulous isn't the right word because obviously you can see I could lose some weight, but uh, like I'm, I'm pretty regimented on like eating. Like yeah. even now I'm going, man, I'm hungry. I'm, I'm probably going to eat some lunch after this. Yeah. Like even though it'll be two o'clock, I'm like, I'm starving. Yeah. So like I'm thinking about that, but I don't put as much thought into my spiritual growth and development. So I felt like that was a very powerful statement because I'm going, man, uh, like it's just something that for me, the Holy Spirit is going, hey, just gently nudging, not not like condemning, but just gently nudging going, what about your soul? Like how how are you feeding yourself? Because one of those things will live forever. And it's not our bodies, right? So it's important that we feed our soul, that we tend to our soul. Yeah. And yeah. so I think that that's good. Like you see Jesus's answers beautifully. Like he, all three times he uses scripture to combat that trial and yeah. that temptation. Um, I did want to kind of talk through verses five through seven, where what we yeah. see and what you talked about is that Satan does have influence. Yeah. Like he has influence in this world. Like yeah. he is the king of this world. Yeah. And it's because God enables him or allows him to yeah. have influence in this world. But Satan has influence uh, in this world. Um, And I thought you said you had a great question on Sunday as you said this. You you just asked the question, and I don't know if it was part of your notes or not, but you said, how would you respond to safety and security? Like that was like, ooh, that's another one that I was like, okay, Christian, that's probably enough for today. Yeah. 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 Because that's what, in essence, what, exactly satan is doing as he's test tempting jesus for the second time of of five through seven it says the devil took him to a high place showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world he said i'll give you all authority and splendor it has been given to me and i can give it to anyone i want to if you worship me it will be all yours jesus answered it is not it uh it is written worship the lord your god and serve him only like man that's how would you respond to safety and security because you talked about and what we see in other places within scripture of the the burden, the weight of what Jesus would do like before yeah. the cross, like uh, praying in the garden of Gethsemane, like yeah. we see the weight of responsibility. So I thought it was a beautiful picture to point out like it's safety and security that really what Satan is tempting Jesus yeah. with. Yeah. And if he's, I mean, Jesus is God, right? And so, uh, but he's also fully human. This is the first time in his um, you know, eternal existence that he has been experiencing the things that we are vulnerable to. Uh, and so if I knew that death awaited me, if I knew that pu- like severe punishment by the government, Roman authorities uh, was yeah. ahead of me, right? Um, and if I knew that journeying, tw- you know, three years with 12 disciples, you just did not get it a lot of times, mm. uh, I probably just want to bypass all that too and say, I want safety and security, right? Yeah. Like if I know these next three years are going to be really grueling, if I could get any out, I might want to do that, right? And so, um, and even in 2020, 2020 has been a really difficult year for a lot of us. If I could just, you know, do one thing to flip it all around and to um, get safety and security and not have to worry about anything, I'd be tempted to do it, right? Um, But yeah, Jesus, uh, he's again, tethering himself to the will of God, which is to um, endure this so that they could finish the mission to bring about salvation to the world. And so, it's a no-brainer to him. Like, and again, Satan is the ruler of the world. Read Second Corinthians, I think it's four four, where they identify him as the ruler of the world. So he has authority. That's like the, a world power coming to you today and saying, "I can give you anything you want, yeah. anything you want." Right? Uh, and Jesus says, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna follow suit. I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna follow God 
tether myself to the will of God. And he, he does it. And he says scripture and he abides by it. So he's yeah. a model candidate. He's doing everything perfectly, right? And so it's just uh, pretty cool. I feel like, <clears throat> and, and this isn't a very well-formulated question. Like, I feel like as we're talking about it, like, what does that mean for us? Because I guess as I'm thinking through it, I'm thinking through it personally of going, you know, probably the hardest thing that my wife and I are doing is something that we're in the middle of now, and that's foster care. Yeah. yeah. Like, and honestly, if we knew how difficult it was now, when we go through all the classes, like we're doing it, we understand how hard it is, right? Yeah. Like we're told Definitely. how difficult and how challenging and how knowledge, but not yeah. the street knowledge. Yes. Yeah. But then <laughs> now we find ourselves in it and we're going, man, this is really challenging and yeah. really difficult. If we knew that it would be like this, we might not have done it. But yeah. now that we're in it, we're going, God, allow us to be faithful. Yeah. What, yeah. what, I don't know. Is there something in that that maybe, I don't know. I, I guess what I'm thinking is that yeah. I'm not sure if I would, like you were to your point, like I'm not sure if we would sign up for things if we knew what it would truly look like. But then when we get in them, Jesus does work in and through that. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'd say it always kind of comes back to like um, faith in what we know to be true. Because there are going to be seasons where my feelings ebb and yeah. flow, where there's some days I don't feel like following God right now, or I don't feel like yeah. doing this, right? Um, there are going to be days where our feelings are all over the place. And that's totally normal. That's human. That's why Jesus is experiencing temptation, because he feels like he wants to eat bread. He feels like he wants to bypass all this pain. But what he does and what he invites us to do and what we should do is remind ourselves of what is absolutely true. What is what is true about this situation? And so in your case, like you are caring for and loving right. a child of God. And, right. and I know you shared some of this, just like, you know, you're reminding ourselves of what is absolutely true. And then letting that be, um, letting that be what guides us. Cause I know right. sometimes I want my feelings to guide us. Like, I don't feel right. like going right. to church right now. I don't feel like doing this. And our feelings speak very boldly and loudly. Right. Yeah. Um, so what I have to do is just remind myself of what is true. What would God have for me? Um, yeah. what is, what is in store, you know, for, for, you know, what does God have in store? And so just tethering ourselves to scripture and the will of God. Yeah. And then when, not if, but when our feelings are all amok, right. They're <laughs> all over the place. Uh, we can say, this is, this is what's true. And I'm going to lean into this as best as I can. Yeah. Right. And so it's a, it's a practice. I think, um, one, uh, spiritual handbook that I read kind of says, Hey, like get in these habits now. Because life will knock you down. So it's yeah. almost like we're training for a game, like a football game. Do the practice. Like get in those motion uh, so that when you are in the thick of it, you're ready, right? Yeah, you're prepared yeah. for it. And so right now, just training myself to just abide by Scripture, the Word of God, and letting that, um, yeah, yeah con conditioning myself to do that naturally so that when I don't want to do it, I still do it. I still abide yeah. by Scripture and follow what God has. So. Yeah, and I, I think the reality is, too, is that, and Josh has talked about this before, about this living in this tension of wanting to do great things, but also be comfortable. Like, it, yeah, there's a yeah. tension, like, I want to be mm. comfortable, and I want to be safe, and I want to be secure, so but I want to do great things. And it's this ebb and flow. And very rarely is it the things that are easy and that come, like, without challenge, are the yeah. are they the things that we look back with fondness and yeah. excitement? It's, it's usually the hard things that are difficult and challenging. And didn't know if we could make it through it that we are the most proud of and the yeah, most absolutely. excited for and where we saw God moving maybe the strongest in yeah, our life. So I, I think that that's, that's good. I do want to like, so at this, at verse eight, this is the second time that Jesus says, 
it is written like he's using scripture to mm-hmm. combat temptation and trials, which is the same thing that we do. But then as we get into verse nine, um, you, you said that Satan kind of changes his tactic a little bit. Yeah. So I just want to read it. It says nine. It says the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point in the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here for it is written. And this is where Satan is using scripture. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And then Jesus uh, responds, Jesus answered in verse 12, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Yeah. What here, like I had never heard this point before, like you were talking about Jesus's ministry and how this could be kind of a great kickstart, right? Yeah, like, yeah. so could you maybe yeah. dive into that a little yeah. bit more? Yeah, I didn't realize, you know, whenever you sit down, like, you know, you're gonna be teaching a passage you study, you're like, I never observed that before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what happens here is he's, he's standing on top of the temple, probably about, uh, scholars think 300 feet above the Kidron Valley floor. So, you know, anyone jumps, they're probably not gonna make it, right? Uh, and so, but what's important to understand is the temple is actually the center of life in that world. And so there was probably a lot of people all around the place. It was the center of commerce in some ways. There's a lot of government things that happened there. And of course the center of religion. And right. so people are there in droves, right? And so I didn't realize, but if, you know, if someone were to jump off the temple and then angels sweep them out of the sky, that would probably grab your attention <laughs> and you'd probably be intrigued. Uh, and you'd probably be like, what just happened? Let probably me learn more. Probably be telling everybody about you'd it. you probably yeah. tell everybody about it, right? And so here's a way to kind of jumpstart Jesus' ministry. He doesn't have to, you know, go around to these 12 random guys and say, hey, Follow me, right? Uh, no. So the temptation here is in some ways spiritual pride because, yeah, God would save you. Um, but then also, like, you get a following pretty quickly. Like, you wouldn't have to do all the legwork. It's yeah. like if you're trying to start a, a small business up and, you know, you get a shout out from a superstar or something. I don't know. Um, you know, this is a good way. Maybe to not an exa- a perfect example, it's a perfect but it's example. a good one. <laughs> um, but it's this idea of... Um, yeah, you can get your following, right? Yeah. So there's a spiritual pride there because we want people to follow Jesus, but we also want people to follow Jesus for the right reasons, right? right, right. Um, not because he's putting God to the test. And so, once again, he, um, it's interesting. Uh, Jesus knows Scripture more than Satan, right? And so, <laughs> Jesus identifies. Oh, Satan omitted a word, and I can't remember what it is. You can find it if you look it up. He omitted a word or a phrase from Psalm 91. He was quoting Psalm 91. Uh, and Jesus responds with scripture accurately, right? And so I think we see this done a lot where, again, people yeah. use scripture to justify their um, ideologies. They'll say... You know, I did want to talk about, stuff. like, what's the difference between eisegesis and exegesis? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you had talked about that. So this, yeah. he's starting to, you're starting to answer it, but yeah. I just wanted to kind of perform Yeah, it. we're really good at eisegesis where we, um, it's like we have an idea in our head and I want to support it with scripture. And so let me go to scripture and eisegesis is, of putting your thoughts, your right. ideas into the text, right? Uh, and so we're really good at doing this. And it's really actually really bad practice. In fact, um, yeah. you know, I think we misunderstand so much of scripture nowadays because this is yeah. how we treat it, right? As a, as a me, as a kind of a tool to justify yeah. what I already think, right? Um, but what we are invited to is this process of exegesis, you know, to exit, to take out of, right? We are letting the scripture do all the talking and we're just listening. We're letting it leave the pages of the text and uh, enter into us. And so um, exegesis is letting, um, it's, I guess Josh would say it this way, it's exposing, the scripture is exposing itself, right? It's, it is exposing what it says. And so <laughs> what we have to do, our responsibility is just beg God to speak through scripture, um, to do our best to read it. It is a piece of literature that's 2000 years old, originally 
or thousands of years old in a different language. And so it is a piece of literature that does demand that we meticulously study it, that we wrestle with it, that we read the scholars' commentaries on it so we can better understand it. Um, but then we just beg God, hey, may your spirit speak through this text to me uh, and let it expose itself. Let God expose the words on the page to us instead of our just putting our thoughts and ideas on the page. Uh, and that is a practice that I wish that we could uh, do do better but you yeah. know it's i feel like we're <clears throat> many of a, many times we're guilty of proof texting yeah where we're going hey this is what i think i need the bible to say something proof in line with I that think. like yeah. so so here's the proof of what i'm saying and you don't just take my word for it but it is really in essence it's what you're saying yeah <laughs> right yeah. like yeah and is. that's what's dangerous yeah. is that what it should be is that the word of god changes the way that we think perceive the way that we would um, go about or uh, interact with something and then therefore it should be biblically based yeah. but not here's the thought and let me get a, a scripture to back up that thought but yeah. it's yeah taking things out of context like i'm yeah. not gonna say any names but it was it was an ad <laughs> lately that did take uh, a yeah. quote from a person right. uh and just took like and we do this all the time with scripture we just take like uh, I'm going to cut here, cut here, take this, use this for my agenda. Right. And so we, got, we get our sound bites. Yeah, we right? get our sound bites, right? And we use that to say, look, this is this supports me, this supports my agenda. But that's just totally wrong because it's taken out of context, just like this quote was uh, in this ad, right? And so um, we have a responsibility to... Um, to be faithful to in our studies of scripture. And we're gonna get it wrong sometimes, and that's okay, even with our best intentions, but we have to do our best to slow down, uh, to beg that God to speak through it, and then to study with people. And I would add um, this, I know we're wrapping up here. Yeah, I think it's best um, to actually study pe uh, scripture with people you might disagree with. Um, cause that's when you, uh, can hear what is happening, uh, you know, with people who have different opinions than you. Um, and I'll go on a quick tangent. Um, <laughs> so I think, uh, I think it's a lost art to navigate stuff with people that you disagree with. And we've seen this a lot in this election season. Um, and even in the church, right? Gosh, uh, I think it's beautiful to be able to study scripture with someone who might see it a little differently than you. Uh, and I'm not saying that like, you know, endorse heresy, not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying sometimes um, studying scripture with people who think differently or see it differently might help us learn, okay, I okay, that's something I've never heard before. I think there's some validity to it. Or, okay, I've never heard that before. I don't agree with it, but now I know what I believe a bit more because I know of what you know I don't believe, right? Um, but <clears throat> it's a lost art. There was a book I read, and I would recommend it to anybody. In fact, this shapes how I approach political conversations a lot. And I'm not perfect at it. Um, but it does shape it. It's a book called Disunity in Christ by Christina Cleveland. I think I'm saying that correct. Um, she says our brains are exhausted of sorting information. So what we do a lot of times is we sort people in categories. And so this is where, and so people come up with this language that they use to label people conservative or liberal, um, you know, progressive, red, blue. And so I can say those words and your brain is coming up with all of these details for <laughs> that category of people. But that's problematic because it's like the same of me saying, it's the same, uh, you know, as me saying all Christians are judgmental and hateful. Some of you watching, you're like, ah, oh, you know, I really actually know a lot of Christians who love Jesus and then are not judgmental and hateful. But every time we say left or right or conservative or liberal, and we use that to identify a whole group of people. We are not listening to their stories. We're not listening to them. And you can't have conversations with people when you do that because a lot of times their stereotypes are wrong, right? If I say left or right, like it's just not accurate. You know, I'm projecting my ideas of who they are on them. But if you talk to them, you realize, oh, you don't fit my stereotype that I had in my brain, right? Um, and we do this all the time, and it's just very damaging, and it's not healthy. 
Um, and so I would recommend, you know, journey with people who see life a little differently than you. It helps us um, to be able to grow in our understanding of those things. Um, and it's just healthy. And again, you don't have to agree with everything. That's totally okay. It's a beautiful part about being American um, that you can disagree with people and still, you know, hold on to what you believe is true. Um, but I do think we do a disservice to people when we sum them up and put them in these categories because we're not listening to them. Hmm. And if there's anything that we don't, don't do well, it's listening. And so, uh, you know, with God and with each other, I think we have a, a, a big responsibility to listen. Um, anyway, I can go on that for a very long time, but I'm going to pump the brakes there. Uh, so the last thing that I wanted to do is um, just read the observations and then the in implications. So you said yeah. the observations are our model politician knows the word. Yes. Our model politician abides by the word and our model politician keeps his word. Yeah. And then the implications is, is this as we kind of wrap up even for our uh, podcast. It says study scripture without your agenda. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second thing was to abide by God's word. And then the third thing was what we've kind of talked about already is to place your vote in a candidate, not your hope. Yeah. yeah. So I think that, that that's really good. I appreciate your insight and, yeah, yeah. and kind of the wisdom that you brought to this text. I feel like there was things that you pulled out that I, I hadn't even seen. And to be completely honest, I preached on this like five years ago <laughs> here at this church. And I'm like, man, I didn't see that before. So uh, I really appreciated yeah, that. Yeah. Was there anything kind of uh, as final thoughts or anything that yeah. you wanted to add towards the end here? Yeah, um, I really appreciate what Josh did last week. Like we can breathe. <laughs> yeah. Like even today, like we're two weeks from election day, even on election day, even the day after election day, yeah. month, years after election day, we can breathe. Yeah. Guys, the best is yet to come. We have hope. Yeah. We have something to look forward to. Um, it doesn't mean that um, we avoid what God's inviting us to now, which is to anticipate and participate even today in the kingdom culture, um, which is to love God and love your neighbor. Uh, and it doesn't matter who's president come <laughs> January, you can still love God and love your neighbor. Yeah. Um, it's not contingent on who's in office. Right. So breathe. We have hope. We can hope in Jesus and vote in a candidate. And even if our candidate is not in office come January, I can still participate in and anticipate kingdom culture. I'm going to love God well and love my neighbor well uh, and foster that culture here on earth. That's bringing heaven to earth. When we pray that on earth as it is in heaven, right, we get to participate in that. And it's great because it's not dependent on an election. So we yeah. can breathe. We can have hope. We can be encouraged there. Well, thanks for your time, too. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. Again, whether you're watching this live or if you catch the podcast later, thank you so much. We really hope that this does challenge and encourage your spiritual growth. I would just like to remind you, if you're ever interested in either asking a question um, or e whether it's a question of something that we've already talked about or one of uh, the series that's coming up or anything, just even a general question, you can email us at overtime at clcfamily.church or just text whatever your question is to 869-2140. We can get that as well. So yeah. we'd love to hear from you. We love when our listeners kind of help engage kind of the direction of where we're taking the podcast. So if you have any questions or thoughts, please feel free to share them. Can't promise that we'll be able to get to all of them. Yeah. Some depends on the week, yeah. <laughs> um, but we would love to hear from you. So overtime at clcfamily.church or if you just text your question to 610-869-2140. Thanks a lot. Yeah. We hope that you have a great week and we'll see you next week. Thanks Go for vote. tuning in. Take care. Bye.